Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our city campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We are diving into a series over the next five weeks called Letters to the Church. And uh, we're looking at Revelation, the book of Revelation, chapters two and three. I know the book of Revelation uh, does kind of, when you hear it, uh, it evokes a whole bunch of emotions, depending on how long you've been around the church. Um, the, the Revelation is actually from the, it, the, the word apocalypse. Is actually, um, we, we, when we hear the word apocalypse, we think end of the world. Anyone else here, when you hear the word apocalypse? Well, actually, apocalypse means revelation. Uh, and uh, and uh, so that is, it's the apocalypse of John. Uh, and uh, John, uh, the, uh, the, the apostle John, the disciple John is on Patmos Island in prison because he's sharing the gospel. And he, as he is lying, and you can read this in Revelation chapter one, as he is in prison, he has a vision. Jesus come and meets with him and says, John, write down all the words. In fact, this is what we, uh, we read in Revelation chapter one. I'm just gonna read verses one to three, Matt, just to kind of give us an orientation as we dive into what is to come. In Revelation chapter one, verses one, we read the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. It's a letter written by John, oh, it's actually from Jesus through John to, as we're going to explore, the seven churches of Asia Minor. And we're going to start with the letter to Ephesus, uh, which is the first letter. And uh, we're going to read it. And I, I, I thought that it would be nice. As it said, blessed are those who uh, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I thought it would be really cool if we read it aloud together. We may not do it every week, but I thought we'd start tonight by reading it aloud. So the words are going to be on the screen behind me. I'm going to turn around and we're going to read the words together. Can we do that? Get our reading voices on. Take it away, Matthew. Here we go. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of of God. Very good. I want to ask you tonight who here likes writing letters? 
Anyone like writing letters and then buying a stamp, putting them in an envelope and then sending them in the mail? Anyone do that? Anyone letter writers? Oh, I mean, it's, you don't have to send it in the mail if you want. You can give them. Very good. There's a whole bunch of young adults this morning who stuck their hand up. It's like, guys, that's so cool. That's so retro. We don't really, we don't really write letters these days, do we? We're, we're a little bit more instantaneous. We have things like Facebook Messenger and Gmail, email, Carrier Pigeon. No, 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 that's, that's way back. But that's, that's how it was. You know, for thousands of years, the only way that you could communicate with people who were not in your locale would be to put ink to paper and send it in whatever way that you could. I've been thinking this week about what it would have been like even a hundred years ago. You know, it, uh, in the Second World War, uh, sorry, in the First World War, when, uh, where, you know, when, when soldiers were fighting and trying to, to communicate with their loved ones back home. And I, I found myself on an email trail reading a whole bunch of letters uh, between a couple, some school sweethearts, a guy called Reg, Reg Room from Nova Scotia, who was fighting uh, in the First World War. And he was writing to his uh, high school sweetheart, Helen Jones, who was a nurse. And I just want to read, you've got a, you've got a picture of the, of the letter there. Uh, and then we've got some of the script. So there's a picture of the letter and this is, what, this is part of what he writes to her. He's in the Navy. My dearest, sweetest little girly, here we are just about the same as yesterday, lying around on the deck. There is a little more of a swell running now than there has been yet and most of us are feeling a trifle lightheaded but have not, actually been sick, been, not been actually sick. Oh, you dear, dear little treasure. I could not help crying as I read what you had written and the tears rolled down my cheeks as I thank God for having given me such a little treasure as you are. Dearest, I, if I should lose you, I dare not think what I should do for I love you so much and I want you with all my heart and soul just for myself. I could be happy anywhere with my little girl. It's a little bit of an ah oh moment. You imagine, just think about it for a moment. She hasn't seen her love. He hasn't seen her love. When you write a letter like that, you make your words count, don't you? You think about it, you know, we, can, we just send off texts like that and if we get a word wrong, then we just send a text back. Oops, sorry, different kind of emoji, different acronym, whatever it might be. We live in an instant communication world, but letter writing for thousands of years, you made sure that you got your words right. And more than that, your words counted. They were weighty. You can, you can hear it here. Just the communication, the, the weight of the words. You know, we do live in a different kind of world now. But as we journey through letters, the letters that, that Jesus writes, we want to give weight to the letters that are written. Now, I, uh, I had a bit of fun this week also going and looking at the first messages that Megan and I communicated with when we started going out. We, we, uh, we started, I found the first message uh, that, that Megan, my wife, just for those who don't know, uh, sent me. It actually was, I didn't send Megan a message. The first message sent 
was from Mega and it came from, a, it was Facebook Messenger. This was pre-dating. Once we started dating, then we moved up to Gmail or email. So that was the progression. Uh, I don't know if that's a thing or not. I don't think it is. But anyway, this is what Megan said. She said, hi, how are you doing? I was just wondering what evening, what your evening looked like next week and if you had a free evening and wanted to go play a pickup game of basketball. Now that's American, Megan's American. I didn't know what she was, I mean, that sounded a little forward to me. You wanted to play a pickup game. I don't know what pickup game you're playing, but whatever game she was playing, she won. And, uh, and uh, she was so funny as I read this, this message to her, she said, my goodness, I was so forward, wasn't I? I said, yes, you were. You were so forward with me, Megan. Anyway, six months later, we started dating and the rest is history. I know that, as we continued to dialogue, and I went and had a look at our first email messages, I, when we started dating, I actually had to come back to Australia. We were living in London, and my goodness, it was just like, oh, the word, just, it's awful, embarrassing. But I know that I would have spent, you know, maybe not hours, <laughs> maybe I did thinking about what I would write. You know, the words that we write when they're significant or when they're sent to someone significant, we, we spend time on their weighty, they matter. How much more with the words of Jesus? When Jesus writes a letter to his church and he writes a letter to the Ephesian church and it's a church that had been deeply changed by the love of God that had been deeply changed by the love of Jesus. And the Ephesian church was known for its love. We read in Ephesians, another letter that was written by the Apostle Paul who went and planted the church in Ephesus. He writes uh, to a letter to Ephesus and he says in chapter one, he says this, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's heard about their faith and... And your love for all God's people. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. See, the Ephesian church was known for its love. It was known for its love for the church. You know, a little bit of context as we dive into this letter now as Jesus writes a letter to Ephesus. You've got to understand the type of city Ephesus was. Ephesus was a significant city. It was a city chosen especially by Caesar Augustus. And if, uh, if you went to uh, uh, Ephesus at the time, you would have seen it was a city of size and power. It was a centre that uh, Augustus kind of placed it at, and named it the capital of Asia Minor. It's probably why it's the first letter in Revelation chapter 2. It's a significant city. It's a significant, significant city of, of commerce, of government, and of culture. It was known for its beautiful architecture and you can even today see the ruins of its great outdoor theatre. Think of the images uh, on the back. You can go and see it today. But it was also known for its religious heart. It was a, a religious centre. It had two temples in honour uh, of Augustus and then there was the famous temple to Artemis, which, uh, which is one of the wonders of the world. You can read in Acts chapter 19. If you want to do some reading afterwards, you can actually pick up as Paul goes. You read the story of, of the religious heartbeat that had idols and temples and worship everywhere. It even had sorcery and dark arts, magic as part of its centre. 
It was a city that celebrated power. It celebrated culture and various forms of religious practice. To be a Christian in Ephesus was not an easy thing. To worship Jesus in a place where cultic worship of the emperor was commonplace was not easy. If you're a Christian, life wasn't easy. But Jesus writes this letter, we just read it before, writes a letter that commends the church and it commends the church for a couple. Jesus says, I, I want to honour you. I want to commend you for a couple of things. Firstly, I commend you because you understand you've held fast to my teaching. You have sound doctrine. We read it. He says in verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you, can, you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. That's consistent with what we read in First uh, and Second Tim- Timothy, where Timothy is based in Ephesus. He's uh, been raised up by Paul and sent to be a pastor in Ephesus. And Paul writes a couple of letters to his, his kind of his young charge. And in both those letters, Paul addresses the issue of false teachers, and he names them: Alexander, Hymenaeus, Philetus, three guys who are teaching false things, trying to move the church away from the true teaching. So this is a church that is familiar with false teaching and heresy. And Jesus says, I want to honour you. I want to honour the fact that you understand doctrine, that you actually understand the gospel, you understand truth. He goes on to say in verse 6, we read it, but you have this in your favour, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans which I also hate. Who were the Nicolaitans? Well, it's, we can't know absolutely, but it's, it's thought that they actually was formed under Nicholas, who was a teacher of the time, and it essentially syncretised Christianity with culture. And so it embraced sexual promiscuity and it, it embraced eating the food of uh, sacrifice to idols. It was this, this blend of Christianity and culture. And Jesus says, I honour you because you hate that that form, that cult, that religion. I honour the fact that you have held to the truth, that you understand doctrine. I think that's an encouragement for us too. That actually doctrine matters, truth matters, understanding our faith matters. The other thing that, that Jesus commends the church in Ephesus for is he says, I commend you for your sacrificial service. Despite the persecution, despite the context of the city that you're in, despite everything that's going on, you have remained faithful. In verse 3, we read this, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. As I said before, to be a follower of the way, which was the name for the church in the, in the early days. You know, you lost... Often you, you, you lost your job. If you didn't bow down to Caesar, to the emperor, you'd lose your job. You were persecuted. You lost dignity. You know, they suffered, but in the midst of all of that, they did not grow weary. For the name of Christ, they did not grow weary. Now, I think there's something in that for us as well, an encouragement for us, because come on, let's be honest, to be a Christian and to hold to some of the values and the truths that we, we hold to is not popular in our universities, in our workplaces, and perhaps in some of our families today. And to actually put your hand up or to put your head above the parapet and say, you know what, this is what I believe, means that you will be persecuted. 
It means that you may be mistreated. It may mean that you're belittled. It may mean that you're not promoted. It may have a whole range of things. Now, we may not be persecuted like the early church, but there is still ramifications. And Jesus says to the church in Ephesus, and He would say to you and to me today, I honour you when you suffer for my name. I honour you. We need that to bed into our hearts. You know, that when we suffer for the name of Jesus, and I'm not saying be a jerk for Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. There's some of those. But actually, as we walk in love, the reality is is that there may be some costs involved. Jesus honours you in that. But Then we read in verse 4, there's a yet. Yet, Jesus says. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Jesus commends. He says, oh, but there's something, guys, that I just need to to talk to you about. this This is a letter of lament. It's a letter of lament of lost love. Here's the thing. This is what this letter tells us. It says that we can, on one hand, know the truth. We can be, let me just go with the alliteration for a moment, we can be lawful. We can know the right things. And we can be loyal. We can be lawful and loyal, but loveless. And Jesus writes this letter to the church in Ephesus and says, you've lost your first love. This is, this is kind of like a, a break-up letter, almost, not quite. It's a warning letter. And, it's, and, it, and the letter, you know, you know how breakup letters go, it's kind of like, it's not you, it's me. Well, Jesus isn't doing that. He's not, he's not going, it's not you, it's me. He's going, it's you, not me. <laughs> You've walked away. You've walked away. Did I get that wrong? No, I got that right. Good. I got it wrong this morning. It was so embarrassing. Saying Jesus says, it's not me, it's, it's not you, it's me. I don't know, anyway, here's the thing. They had not forgotten their first love. You know, that might be excusable. You know, listen, time's gone by, things have gone on, but it's hard. They, they haven't forgotten. They've actually forsaken their first love. They have dispensed with their first love. They've walked away from their first love. They have turned their back on their first love. And this breaks Jesus' heart. See, we've got to understand this. And I reckon this is sometimes hard to get our, our heads and our hearts around. But Jesus loves His church. Jesus is head over heels in love with His church. Jesus is head and heels, head over, head over heels in love with you. And we see it all through Scripture. We see this analogy of marriage, loving marriage in it throughout the Bible. God who is a covenantal God who comes and makes covenant with the people of Israel. You read through Hosea, this analogy of, of, of Israel prostituting itself, betraying marriage. We see some of the imagery and analogy in the Song of Songs. And then we get into the New Testament. We see Jesus paint the picture of the kingdom of God and the coming kingdom of God like a marriage banquet. And then Paul writes in the letter to the Ephesian church. He says this, uh, he says, uh, when he's talking about the context of marriage, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ. 
Now he's making the analogy clear between marriage and Christ, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, just as Christ loved the church and died for her. Jesus is head over heels in love with his church. Jesus is head over heels in love with you. And we see this beautiful consummation at the end of Revelation, this book that we're reading. Some of the motifs that we're going to find as we journey through these letters are setting the kind of the script for the rest of the book. And in Revelation chapter 21, as we get to the end of the story, we read these words, I saw, John writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? Everyone say, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now here. God's dwelling place is now amongst the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the, all, this is the intent of God. This is the telos of God. This is the trajectory of what he wants for us is that we may be in His presence forever. You want to understand what loving relationship looks like? It's being in the presence of God forever. That is what God wants. The God of love wants us to be in His presence. That's what it means to be and to live as His bride in love. I love at the end, we read it in verse 70. Jesus finishes the picture. He says, for those who are victorious, they will find themselves around, at, around the, at the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. It's this going back to creation, this dwelling point. This is, this is where church, if you are victorious, you will know my love in a profound way. You're invited to dwell. We are invited to dwell in the presence of God. Guys, we need to understand this. Grab hold of this. Jesus is exuberantly, passionately, outrageously, in love with you. That may sound really strange to you. I get it, but it's the truth. And if you can get hold of it, it changes everything. Jesus is outrageously, passionately, exuberantly in love with us. That is what we read in the Bible. That is what we see in his actions. And Ephesus, Ephesus didn't love Jesus. They didn't love Jesus. They were going through the motions of love without actually loving. See, here's the thing. We can be dutiful. We can be legal. We can be loyal and loveless. And that is what had happened in the church in Ephesus. They were legal and loyal, but not loving. See, sound doctrine, knowing things doesn't mean love. You can know a lot about somebody or something and it doesn't equal love. Knowledge does not equal love. I reckon so often, and we, we, when we think about our faith journey, for those of us here tonight who have placed the, their faith in Jesus or made that step of faith, it was it, at one point it was wonderful and, and it was just, wow, my life has changed. So I've stepped into something radical and new. Something has changed for me. This is amazing. 
But over the course of time, you know, you, you kind of get caught more into the academic or the rational. You begin to read things. You get overwhelmed with, with just the knowledge. And it all becomes cerebral. Oh, I know enough about God. I, I've been to church my whole life. I even went to Sunday school as a kid and I know all the Bible verses. I don't need to go to church to learn stuff anymore. I know it all. And love becomes all about knowledge. You know, it happens in relationships too. It's a way of, of keeping people at arm's length at times or a way in which we justify ourselves. Because here's the thing, this is what I find. It's very easy to move from that place of being in love to, a pl- to move away to, to a place of justifying why you are loved. And so we feel we move from this place in relationship with God and with others where we feel like we need to justify, justify ourselves to be loved. If I just know enough, if I'm just right enough, then God will love me. And all that does is it feeds ourselves. It feeds pride and ego. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians these words in in chapter 8. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. He's talking about elements of faith. He's talking about religion. But knowledge puffs up whilst love builds up. We can, we can know a lot about God. We can go through the motions and keep God at a distance. You see, sound doctrine doesn't equal love. And Jesus says, man, you don't love me. You love knowledge about me. You know all the stuff and you're very happy to judge others. You find that with knowledge, right? Puffs up. We get, get all judgy about those who disagree with the 5%. Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. And secondly, the church thought that service, sacrificial service was love, but it's not. Jesus says your service is not love. It's it's not love. It doesn't equal love. Again, we can do a whole bunch of things for other people, but not from a motive of love. We can do a whole bunch of things for God, but not from a a motive of love. Now, so often it's easy to slide or to do things and be self-motivated. You know, you offer and you do things for people, but really you're doing it to get gratification or esteem or honour or validation in return. Or you're just going through the motions. You know, when you think about your faith, you rock up to church because that's just what you've already done and it makes you feel good, makes you feel valid. But really in your heart, it's kind of like, I'm going through the motions, why am I here? You're connected into community, but why? Or, or you're in relate, whatever it looks like. Sacrificial service may look good on the outside, but Jesus, as he writes the letter to the church in Ephesus, as he sees our hearts, he knows our heart too. See, service does not equal love. And so Paul writes in that great passage, 1 Corinthians 13, that's read at many weddings, which is actually a critique to the, to the church in Corinth. He writes in verse 3, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, he says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I might boast or may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. See, Jesus sees the heart and the intent. And really, it's a heart of religion. It's a heart of religion. 
You know, as I'm thinking about this, I'm reminded of the, that story that we looked at a few weeks ago, the, sto- the story of the two sons, right? You've got the oldest son who stays and is dutiful and does his work for his father. The youngest son who says, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now so I can go. And he gets his money, goes and he lives it, living his licentious life and then blows it all, realises that he's out, finds himself in a pigsty and goes, I... I'll just go back to the house. I just need to, I need to go back to the house and be a servant. I just want to be in the presence of my father. And so he repents, which literally means turn 180 degrees. And he goes back home and he, he says, Father, just take me in as a servant. I'll just, I just need, I want to be in the house. I want to dwell with you. Father wraps his arms around him and cloaks. Come in, let's have a party. You're home. Comes into the presence of the father, comes into the presence of his love receives the warm embrace. Meanwhile, the religious son who knows everything and has done everything stays outside, refuses to come into the house and into the party. Why? Because of his pride, because of his dutifulness. He had been doing things out of ought to, not love. See, the religious heart had embedded into the the church in Ephesus. They knew it all, they did it all, but they didn't have a heart of love. And here's the thing, here's the warning for all of us. When we lose our love, when we lose our love, we lose everything. Don't lose your love. When you lose your love, you lose everything. And Jesus writes this letter. It's a love letter. It's lamenting loss. But there's an opportunity, Jesus says, repent and return to your first love. Return to that love that you had when you first started out, that you were known for. You were known for your love for for, for the church. You were known for your love for one another. So what does love look like? What does it look like to return to our first love? Well, obviously, firstly, it, it means to love God. To love God. That is the, the great commandment that we read both uh, in the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your your God, and, and then is revisited by Jesus. And again, we looked at that just a few weeks ago. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. And this is how it applies, I think, to Ephesus and for us today. See, you can't love God and not love others. See, Ephesus' first love was was for God, therefore it was manifested in love for others. It was evidenced in love for others, love for others in the church. Remember what Paul wrote? He says, you're known, I've heard of the fact that you love your love for God's people. That is how it was manifested in the church in Ephesus. It's love for God's people. It's love for God's people community. That is how we express our love. It's for others. I was reminded um, just this week as, uh, and I was reading this and it's one of my favourite passages and it was a passage that, that, was, uh, that God gave me early on in our planting journey here when we planted the church in the city. And it's, and it's from John chapter 17 and I love this passage because Jesus, when he was on earth, prayed for me. And he prayed for you. Did you know that? He prayed for you. In John chapter 17, he prays for his disciples and he, and he prays for us. He prays for those who would become, become believers. And he writes, he prays this in John 17 verse 23, oh, verse 20, sorry. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me, people. This is Jesus saying, I pray for us. Pray for you now that all of them may be what? That they all may be one. I pray that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Here's the thing. Jesus could have prayed for a whole bunch of things for us. There, you know, you think about it for a moment. There's a big list of things that God, as Jesus was on the earth, that He could pray for us. I mean, it's, you know, it's 2,000 years. There's a whole bunch of things that can go wrong. There's a whole bunch of ways in which we can mess things up. And we have. My goodness, we have. But there's one prayer that Jesus has for you and for me. One prayer that Jesus has for His church and is that we may be one. That we may be unified. That we may love one another. We struggle to do that at times, hey? We struggle to truly love one another. Religion gets in the way. Judgmentalism gets in the way. Particularly, we disagree with that person on 5% of things, so we're going to kick them out, or we're going to bad mouth them, we're going to judge them, or whatever it is. We do things with false motives. We're not filled with love, and that is what had happened to the church in Ephesus. They had stopped loving one another, and I believe that God is calling us back as a church to love. And here's the thing here's the rub, here's the prophetic edge. To what, I'm, what I'm going to say is this, is that that means presence with one another. Presence with one another. Remember, we go back to Revelation 21. The way in which we enter into God's love is entering into His presence. Just talking with some people in the last couple of days about this. Is that as we presence ourselves, we commit to being together, coming to church and gathering with one another and loving one another in our presence, committing to a life group and to serving one another out of love for one another. We are built up, we become one. You don't become one by living apart, you become one and unified by being together. And I believe that God is calling us afresh to commit to one another, to being together. And the reason that this is prophetic is because we live in a world that is becoming more and more disintegrated. We're living in a culture that is becoming more separated. We're living in a culture that is suffering isolation like never before. It's the antithesis of love. It's the antithesis of the way in which God wants to bring people together in love. You don't want to find love, then move apart. Don't spend time with one another. But as we gather together, that is where we find unity. That is where we become one. It's an invitation and a challenge for us as a church. Commit to presence. Be present. Come and bring and love and share your life with one another. Let us do that together. Because as we do, then we will not only be blessed in love in this place, but we will be a prophetic, loving blessing to our city. 
And that was the other thing about the church in Ephesus. As it was known for its love, it became a church that grew in its city, in its culture that was so antithetical to the Christian faith. Yet as they walked through persecution, the church continued to grow. And Jesus warns them in this letter. He says, if you walk away from me, I will turn out your lamp. I will will snuff out your lamp. You will no longer be the church. If you abandon love, I will leave the building. I will leave the community. You will no longer be a church. You will lose your distinctiveness. You will no longer be a blessing to the city around you. Find love and you will be a blessing. As one commentator says on this passage, he says, the church, no matter how powerless in a given society, is a guardian of the culture. The church, get hold of this, the church, no matter how powerless in a given society, is a guardian of the culture. God has called us to be a guardian of the culture. Even as we watch and see the pain and the brokenness that is going around, we are given the responsibility to love in order that we may be a guardian for the culture. Doesn't that inspire you? Does that challenge you? It's an invitation for us all to choose to abandon religion and knowledge, to abandon sacrificial service for our own self-gain and self-motive and to step into a place of love, giving ourselves to one another in order that we may know the presence and the power of Jesus in our midst. Jesus loves you. He really does. He really loves you. He is in love with you and He just wants you to enjoy His presence. I want to land just with this analogy. You know, no parent, and I can speak as a parent, someone with four kids, I am not interested in any of my kids saying, Dad, I want you to love me, therefore I'm going to learn more. Or Dad, I want you to love me, therefore I'm going to do more. I just want them to be in my presence. I just want them to be with me. There is nothing that my kids can do for me to love them anymore. Yes, they frustrate me at times. Maybe more than a little frustrate, but I love them nonetheless. And there is nothing that I want them to do for them to earn my love. And it's the same with Jesus. Know that, know that, know that. He adores you. He loves you. He died for you so that you don't have to do anything to respond to His love. I'd love for us just to sit for a moment. And I know that we may all be in different faith places right now. You know, some of you um, here may not even be a Christian. It's kind of like, wow, that's, that, that, was, that was an interesting talk. That was pretty intense, man. Never heard of like God being head over in heels in love with you before, but you know, whatever. That's cool. But we have on, on good assurance through the work of Jesus that we can trust this. I, I invite you just for a few moments, those who, who have, you know, if you're not a Christian, just reflect. If you are a Christian, I want you to think back to when you first became a Christian or that time when you first encountered the love of God. I invite you just to shut your eyes and just pause and go back to that and just say, Holy Spirit, have, have things happened in my life? You know, if Jesus was writing you a letter tonight, what would He say? What would He say to you about your love life? 
What would He say about your posture before Him? You know, has sound doctrine, has knowledge, has thought got in the way of your love? Has service, doing all the right things for God or for others, has that got in the way of your love? Come on, why don't you just for a moment, we're going to worship in a minute. And we're just going to create a space where in your own way you can just bring your love afresh to Him. But just want you to shut your eyes for a moment. Go back to that place. What was it like when you first became a Christian? When you first experienced the love of God? What has changed? Has anything changed? Just bring it before God. Maybe you just need to repent. You just need to confess. Receive his love afresh. In a minute, we're going to we're going to worship. We're going to sing some simple love songs to God. But if you're here tonight and and uh, just feel as we've been uh, journeying tonight that yeah, you just want to res- return to your fir- that first love. Go back. Maybe you've been distracted, been knocked off. Maybe some of the things we talked about tonight have just distracted you. God is calling you back to His first love. I'd love to pray for you. If that's you, just as almost just like a statement, a declaration, you know what? I want to go back to that place. I'm just going to invite you just to stand where you are right now. If that's you, I'd love to pray for you. There's just a number of us that God's doing that. Come on, just stand where you are. Is there anyone else? Awesome. Hey, why don't we just, uh, could we just, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe just open your eyes. Maybe just, if you're comfortable, just uh, people just laying a hand on their shoulder just as I pray for them. And then we're going to worship. Just look around. Can you do that? Let me pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your love. And I know for all of us in different ways, we hear your words that you wrote to the church in Ephesus. And that's true for us. It's so hard in our world today to walk with, a, with, with, a, with a, an upright heart. For those who have stood and those who kind of wish they did stand, Lord, I just pray that You pour out Your Spirit upon them now. Lord God, may You remind them that You love them, that even if they're feeling regret, even if they're feeling disappointment, even if they're, they're feeling shame, whatever it is, will You set them free, Holy Spirit, right now, and pour Your love into their hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill them, we pray. 
I'll bless them. Lord Jesus, from this moment, Lord God, will you just give them a new resolve, a new joy, a new life, a new love that they know that they don't need to earn, strive, work, no, anymore to earn your love. But Lord Jesus, afresh and anew, may they just walk in the freedom, the life and the love of you. Pour out your grace upon them. Pour your grace upon us all, Lord God. May we know your love afresh. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to connect with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know. 